0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the TF Podcast. My name is Jonathan G. Blanco. Uh, my guest today is Pat Larson. He's the founder and CEO of Zen Ledger. They do crypto tax and it's a timely time to have this conversation as uh, taxes are due uh, here in just a couple weeks. Uh, Pat has been a guest on the show. We've had him speak uh, at our conferences in the past and uh, he's actually in the Seattle area as well. And so with that, Pat, I'd love it. If you could introduce yourself to everybody.
1: Hey, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for having me back. Uh, happy to happy chatting with you. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, my name is Pat Larson. Uh, started Zen Ledger two and a half years ago. Uh, we've we've grown a lot since then. Uh, we help people. Uh, and tax professionals with their cryptocurrency taxes will, you know, bring in all your transactions across many wallets and exchanges and save you a lot of time. Uh, and we can look at things like tax loss harvesting to save you a lot of money or put cash in your pocket or help you trade better. Um, so that's, you know, that's what we do. And uh, we're about 16 people now uh, venture back through several uh, rounds, uh, including VC. And it's just you know, been a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. Awesome, and we've talked about your background in our past episodes, but let's just we'll, we'll kind of do a shorter version here uh, for for this episode. So, real quick, when you th- talk about um, Zen Ledger and kind of how that came up, um, you know, there are other companies that do uh, crypto tax. What what kind of drew you into that, and why were you like, hey, like we we have to solve this problem?
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, quickly, I you know um, I went to the Air Force Academy for undergrad and studied chemistry. Uh, I was a Navy uh, helicopter pilot with a couple tours, and then I uh, got my MBA at University of Chicago. And then uh, I was in finance as an investment banker. And then I've uh, been in tech for about nine years now, uh, worked at Amazon. That's why uh, we moved to Seattle uh, in 2015, and have been in a couple startups. And uh, about three years ago, I kind of felt that it was... Um, I was ready to, to see if I could become a, a venture back tech CEO. And uh, FinTech makes a lot of sense for me because of my background. And uh, I was looking at, you know, a, a good wave to ride. Um, wow. And 2017, crypto is obviously a very interesting FinTech play. Um, and no one was going to keep you out of it. There were no gatekeepers. You just had to uh, get in there and, and figure out something that would work well. Um, and so I wanted to build, like, you know, real infrastructure, and uh, premium SaaS models have always uh, been attractive to me. So, um, asking a lot of smart people in the space, um, I, I didn't feel like I was a an ICO type guy. I, I had no token to to pedal. There there were. Um, tokens for paying taxes uh, and, and they didn't. So
0: crazy. Well. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine.
1: <laughs> uh, but, but uh, I, you know, the, the thesis was, let's go in, let's, let's uh, provide a very valuable service. And and the concept of the business fits in a box mentally. It's, it's executable. Um, and so we were able to get a great team together, uh, great seed funding, got a product out quickly, um, have really bent over backwards to make um, the customer experience uh, uh, really great from you know, customer service being able to get in touch with us um, and hiring you know for that specifically because you know I, there's people that are so much better at that than me but you yeah. know as, as a founder like you're doing all the customer service um, and and uh, just making it as easy as possible because it's it's uh, it's like a TurboTax insight. TurboTax is one of the most loved softwares. Um, because your starting state before you use that software is high stress, high anxiety because it's taxes and your end state after using that software is much more relaxed because that task is off your plate. Um, it, it's almost, it's, 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 it's just the fact that you had like an achy tooth removed. Like, you don't, you don't like the dentist, but you like how you feel after, you know, you've been to the dentist and had that toothache, you know, gone. Um, that's, that's kind of uh, what I wanted to do. It was, is very tangible, very obvious. Uh, need and it was just about um, execution, and then the thought that you know once you get in there and help people with crypto taxes, you're going to learn other things uh, in uh, financial analysis, blockchain analysis, uh, fintech, and and it was it, sh- it was just a good a really good you know uh, thing to attempt, and you know two and a half years in, I'm glad I did.
0: Yeah, that's 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 awesome. I mean, I think it's funny that you're saying that there were uh, projects that had token models uh, behind them and. It seems like that would uh, whoever created those models likely didn't understand the traditional tax business, right? Because uh, creating some sort of loyalty or, or point token I- inside of that, uh, doing your taxes doesn't really fit into the existing paradigm. Yeah, <laughs> right. The, the thing and, that
1: gives your fiat currency power is that you can compel. Your citizens to pay taxes in that fiat currency and use
0: it. You know. Right, right. So <laughs> that, that that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, you know, I want to dig on the SaaS model aspect uh, and kind of go on that angle for a little bit. So um, let's talk about SaaS. So, you know, from an investor standpoint, uh, SaaS is always very attractive because it's predictable revenue. Um, in theory, it should continuously increase over time. Um, and there's, uh, you know, less like spikes, right. Because of, and, and I guess, in, unless it's a, um, yearly SAS model, right. Cause you might have like certain periods where they renew, but, um, you know, why a SAS model versus a transaction model for what you're doing? Um, and you know, h- how, did you kind of come up with, with that, uh, overall?
1: Yeah. So, so taxes is something you do annually and there's a high need to have to do it. So it lends itself naturally to SAS. Uh, it's, it's not like a, I do my taxes this year and I never have to do them again or I won't do them for three years. It's a very regular thing. So the cadence of um, tax compliance is a natural hand in glove to, to SAS annual billing model. Um, and so uh, it, it, and it just makes sense for us to know a lot about our customer, um, spend a lot of time upfront to get their data clean and help them. Um, and, and crypto is very messy, so uh, a lot of people need help importing wallets, um, uh, you know, creating API keys. There, there's just a lot of friction at the start. So again, like to justify um, uh, spending so much time and effort to make sure the customer succeeds, it, it basically has to be a SaaS
0: model. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally makes sense. And you know, when you you, you said you're venture backed, I'm curious. How traditional investors thought through, uh, or what their opinions were of um, Zen Ledger, you know, being that like it checked the box, I'm sure from that SaaS model perspective, but it probably unchecked the box in the sense of you know being slightly unconventional. Um, you know, what were did does does the SaaS model overpower it, or are the majority of your investors, uh, I don't know, quote unquote non traditional uh, VCs in the sense that like they they are already investing in cryptocurrency or blockchain type projects?
1: Yeah I mean for the most part you have to meet um, investors where you find them so you have to go uh, if you're in blockchain you have to find investors who already have a thesis and a mandate and raise their fund saying that they were in crypto and fintech crypto and looking for infrastructure plays like that's Mm -hmm. that's who we went after. Um, We weren't we never convinced someone uh, of the fact that this was good to invest in if they weren't already convinced of it. Um, so, yeah. so it's, once they're already, once they're already looking for opportunities in that industry, then you answer the other questions, uh, team timing, business model, um, things like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you say that, right. Um, that, you know, someone has to have it in the thesis and then, um, basically bought, be bought into the system or the model or the vertical, um, it seems like so much entrepreneurs try to ram their idea down the throats of of investor VC that just frankly, isn't ever going to invest. And, um, you know, it's, it's like it's convincing someone to do something that's outside of their normal behavior. And maybe you'll be that one person that finally convinces them and changes that what their opinion is, but, but it's pretty unlikely. And so, you know, to your point, if you can focus on the folks that have a level of interest in what you're doing and spend more time there as opposed to focusing on people that don't have that interest and then trying to convince them you know you're probably going to have um more success on on that side
1: yeah i I mean it's a virtuous cycle right so our our seed investments uh we were pitching in december 2017 january 2018 so crypto assets were going through the roof a lot of people were newly rich the irs was suing coinbase um, and we had a lot of finance and tech savvy people worried about their tax implications because they'd just been in a bunch of ICOs and, and had Bitcoin go to 20000 and everything. Um, so uh, I was closing seed investments in like half-hour Zoom calls from Japan calling in the United States um, be, because like it was such an obvious problem. They were already spending money on it themselves. Um, and then the feedback from them uh, helped me when we were pitching uh, larger angels for larger checks Some of them were a little more generalist and you get feedback from them as well um and so it's it's over time like i wasn't pitching vcs from day one i mean maybe i was a little bit but i i have an mba and um some big corporate experience too uh but but it's it's uh over time like you can start with the absolute niche investors which is always a great idea that you know the person who's five years ahead of you in your business idea like uh is a great person to or 10 years or 15 years right because they'll get it immediately and they'll give you great feedback and then like a slight generalist might also be good because they'll ask you um broad common sense questions that you might be skipping over uh, as well so you know the the spray and pray approach works if you're in a learning mode um Mm -hmm. and and you're just doing the fundraising full-time but if you're trying to run the company as well and you desperately need that capital right away then you you do have to focus
0: exactly a lot of people don't realize that uh Going through a fundraise process, going through a fundraising process is a full- time job, you know, right? And then you also have to run your company. So you know depending on your team, maybe the CEO takes that on completely and someone else starts to run the business. But it's probably pretty unlikely in a early stage startup that you have the uh, ability to afford that, right? Um, yep. time, mm-hmm. not not just from a cost perspective, but from uh, you know a time and uh, influence on the company. So I'm assuming you yep. did both hats on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I joke like I was the chief capital officer and the chief survival officer. Like my whole my whole job was to have money, you know, bring in capital somehow so that developers could you know build the product and we could market it. Right, that was mm-hmm. that was most of my job uh, and just making uh, decisions along the way. And I was also doing customer service and the marketing or whatever. But um, uh, the I would I would say. Um, it depends on who you are and what stage you are in your career and what the idea is, how much capital it needs and everything. Um, but, uh, you know, I I had very senior co-founders CTO and he was great in pitches, uh, but he was also great in managing the dev team. So I could like, I didn't have to be looking at wireframes and messing around with the app. Like I could just go run around, fly to San Francisco, New York, you know, go raise capital um yeah. so so you know your team composition really matters and who you are your capabilities your experiences really matter um you know we all our all our vc investments obviously we pitched with the ceo and cto um but usually the first conversation was just me know, the ceo talking to them um and then the seed investments were a mixture of just a pitch from me uh, and then sometimes a team pitch
0: yeah yeah how does that team pitch usually go um comparatively to the CEO pitch like it's in that team pitch are they less talking to you and wanting to hear from the technical side or is it a uh, concert in 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 how you guys are are, are talking to the investor
1: yeah Uh, so again like you know choose your your business idea and your co-founders wisely Uh, so you know Brian Starbucks had my CTO has a lot of experience and a couple of our seed investors were just like oh Brian you know uh, I'm in thanks for calling, uh, tell me about your startup now. Because uh, it was just like, yeah, uh, uh, so that was always fun. Um, and then uh, other times, like, uh, it would depend on what the agenda of the call was and who we were talking to. If, we, who, if the person we're talking to is highly technical, then I would always make sure that it was a CTO, like a technical to technical talk. Uh, if, if the person was very non-technical, I would usually just take the first call completely by myself. Um, and do the product demo and I I could talk through technical stuff enough, but like if, if your investor is asking about, um, and it's SaaS and it's like consumer facing and they're asking tech infrastructure questions, then it's, it's not the right path. Like they should be asking, uh, more about business model and, and things like that.
0: Yeah, totally. It is funny when, when you start getting into a conversation and you notice that, um, the investor is asking you questions that, uh. Are either trying to trick you, or are more like not relevant to the situation, and it's like you have to have this thought process: is like, wait a second, like, is this person just wasting both of our time right now, or like, are they legitimately uh, interested uh, in, you know, what this looks like in that uh, infrastructure type phase? Yeah. So
1: yeah, I mean, so like, if you're an AI startup, then it's always going to be a technical conversation, right? right? Um, if you're a biotech company it's gonna be you know whatever doctor to doctor chat your PhD to PhD uh, pitches so it's all it's all dependent right if you're if you're making a new fizzy drink like you're just gonna you know let them taste the drink and then sure. talk about marketing and distribution yeah you
0: know? right right exactly or if you're right uh, if your product is more of a social construct or you know uh, lending itself to human psychology and how people interact with something right like the technology is going to vary and change and whatever you built that tech stack in for your mvp might be completely different for like v2 um you know overall it's it's more i think a lot of people don't realize how commoditized technology is unless you're in like those very highly technical um, type of companies right but for the most part you're just leveraging existing tech and then modifying it to whatever fits your need, and it's more the um, the strategy and the architecture of how you're util- utilizing that to best serve you, right? So, like for instance, if I wanted to start a crypto tax software, I'm going to come at it with you know my points of view, and I'm gonna have to study, I have to research, and chances are it's gonna look completely different from whatever you're doing because I don't have the same knowledge that you do. I don't have the same understanding of like how things should go. And, but like from a, I, we could still use the same software or stack, right? <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's gonna be the same product. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize. It's like, it, it, there's a significant amount of planning and strategy and architecture um, that is makes the software stack relevant. It's not the software stack itself that is relevant.
1: Yeah, I mean there's just a lot of decisions, right? So it was more us saying, like, look, here's our emphasis, like UI UX, hey, it's live. You can just try it. That's only you know, sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. Sometimes it's better to pitch the wireframes uh yeah. uh rather than pitch something that's like ninety percent working, ten percent buggy. But it's always fantastic to pitch something that works rock solid and already has, you know, uh, thousands of customers. Um, so sure. that's too. Um we we actually just had a big four uh accounting partner, uh, use us and a couple other competitors and our software was the closest, uh, to his hand calculations over several years. And so it's just, he's, he's using us now for his personal, uh, taxes. Um, Excellent. so, so, uh, yeah, like most SaaS doesn't have, uh, an arithmetic component unless it's like payroll SaaS. like, um, most most is like workflow performance, right? So, mm-hmm. so we have kind of an interesting SaaS where you can get to a right number and you can verify it or you can get to several scenario analysis where you want to do aggressive or conservative accounting. Um I think most most businesses aren't that way. Uh so so it's it's another interesting you know, difference in in where we can guide the outcomes uh and and you know verify the quality of our product.
0: Yeah yeah so you know shifting along to where we're at uh today you know we're we're in the middle of a pandemic and so for founders that are uh, looking at fundraising right now, um, and it also on the investor side, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you probably have a, a, a slight pulse on that. Um, you know, what are your kind of thoughts or advice for for someone who's trying to fundraise right now? And similarly, what what is your advice to you know investors that are are looking at deals?
1: Yeah, I mean, so we we definitely are in a funding freeze uh, from what I can tell. And y- yeah, you can just jump on TechCrunch to, to see. But, you know, from the IPO market to D, C, B, A, C, like it's all kind of uh, gunked up the works. Uh, you do probably have a lot more uh, potential founders uh, who've, who've been jamming on ideas uh, lately, mm-hmm. which, which is great. Um, and you do have a lot of dry powder. So, so as as a founder, you should be networking intensely now. Like, if if, uh, if if you have an idea and you're not able to line up Zoom calls, like you kind of need to uh, reassess your your outreach plan because people are available, they're talking, and you know, like uh, they're not traveling, so so there's a lot more time in the day. Um, so, so I think it is a good time to start networking and reach out to people. I'm not sure it's a great time uh, to get checks. Uh, you. you uh, you are seeing larger checks because there are there is capital and there is pressure from funds to deploy their capital so they can get the next tranche and things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, if there's not much visibility uh, into the future, uh, in, into whatever that liquidity event is, um, you know, we're we're just going to be in a tough situation. We saw that 2008 to 2010, 2000 to like you know 2002, like we're we're in that kind of phase. We're in the first three months of a a very tough funding environment for startups.
0: Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, And what's interesting about all that is how uh, there's just so many mixed signals out there, right? So if you're a very first time founder and you've never raised venture capital before, um, and you've never started a company before, uh, I'm not trying to discourage anybody, but like your, your chances are gonna be more difficult to, on raising your very first round ever, uh, yeah. right now, right? Uh, versus like if you're someone who's had multiple exits, um, you know, you're you're very desirable because of the fact that there is um, going to be limited dollars. They're going to want to make it, you know, focus on that, right? So, it's um, yeah, it's definitely a tough time all around. But uh, you know, I'm a big fan of of focusing on revenue, and and that's one thing I always try to encourage uh, startups to do is, you know, try to prove revenue, however big or small that revenue is. And then, uh, that in turn will also make you more attractive, attractive to, uh, an investor. If if that is what you're seeking, right? Some level of, of venture capital.
1: Yeah. There there's all these things you can do to, um, I, I think of it as little experiments, right? Uh, don't try to hit a home run, try to incrementally say, Hey, like in the next two weeks, how much time, how much cost do I need uh, into this experiment? Whatever that is, to learn more and make, to get to a decision point, right? Um, and uh, as, as you're doing a startup, you can be like, hey, how, how quick do we get a live MVP? Is it, is it 12 weeks to, for something that kind of works and shows that, okay, it's probably worth it to push through that and then pitch investors. And if it works, great, if it doesn't, then we have to think like, okay, how much cash do we have? In six weeks, like what can we accomplish uh, for six weeks of pitching or something? You know, like think it through rigorously and incrementally, so that you're you're giving uh, the best bang for the buck in terms of de-risking the venture, proving the business model, proving the team, um, getting data like traffic data or whatever. Like think think about the things that make for a compelling case and how you can you know get varying degrees of, of that information in.
0: Yeah, totally. And then and then similarly is like. Uh if you have the opportunity to have maybe those initial conversations or whatever exchange that you had, and, you know, ask if you can provide updates and, and most VCs are going to say yes, or most investors are going to say yes. Right. Um, and then provide those updates and and make sure that you are having, um, you know, meaningful improvements on, on what you've been doing, uh, yeah, I, overall, you know, just
1: rigorously like be, be in the habit of typing something up every month. Um, and communicating that out. Uh and then, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a quarterly thing, but I, I never ask permission to keep uh potential investors uh in the loop. I just send send it to them and let them tell me to stop. Um yeah. and uh that that that's worked pretty well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, as we're a couple months or sorry, a couple weeks away from the tax season uh, being like, how does that uh, impact folks in in just overall crypto? And actually, before we even get to that side is, um, have there been times where tax deadlines have been pushed out by the government um, in this fashion?
1: I think it's unprecedented. I I don't think uh, a July 15th, you know, April 15th to July 15th move has ever happened. Um, you know, we just haven't been in a pandemic uh, since then. We haven't fought uh, a war on on U.S. soil. Uh, <laughs> uh, so World War II came right after the Great Depression when income taxes started. Uh, but you know, besides that, yeah, yeah, we're in unprecedented times. Mm-hmm. So uh, July fifteenth is the new deadline. So if you owe the government taxes on July fifteenth, you have to send in a check for what you owe. Um, if if, uh, if the government owes you a refund, you should be filing taxes immediately because you're just giving them a, a tax-free loan um, or uh, an interest-free loan. Uh, and then, you know, um, uh, so, so you should think about uh, getting it done.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, so for those that are, they're thinking about <laughs> getting it done and so forth, same thing as apply, I'm assuming that you can still do a deferral. Is a deferral still six months from the tax deadline or how are they doing that? Do you know? uh,
1: I haven't seen.
0: Or is there not a So, yeah.
1: so what you can do is say you owe the government a thousand dollars for your taxes, right? You have to send in that check for a thousand dollars on July fifteenth. You don't have to send in the paperwork that proves that you owe, you know, a thousand dollars and not two thousand dollars or not zero. Like you don't have to file your taxes until uh, October fifteenth if you file an extension. But whatever money you owe, you do need to pay on July fifteenth. Um or otherwise you incur like fines and, and interest um through to when you actually pay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh um, and
1: and uh what you file this year could impact um stimulus checks. So kind of think about that. If if the last time you filed is 2018 and that's what's on the books and you know your income is up uh or down, uh, you know, like that'll affect uh stimulus payments. If if your income's way down, you may want to like file your taxes very quickly to change the income on the books.
0: Good point. Good point. So uh, when it comes to crypto taxes now, um, you know we've talked about this before, but basically taxable events is when you um, report the gain, like after, uh, and you essentially move out of that crypto, right? Can we? Can we? Yeah. Can you kind of give a little school lesson on that real fast? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so so you pay taxes on the capital gains you make.
0: You don't pay taxes
1: when you buy. Uh, one ethereum with cash that's not a taxable event you've already been taxed on the earning of that cash somehow Um, now that one ethereum is yours and uh, there's no tax on if you hold that one ethereum forever you never pay taxes on that one ethereum just like if you uh, bought uh, whatever one tesla stock today uh, and you never sold it you would never pay taxes on that tesla stock Uh, and there's no dividend there Um, but so the taxable events in crypto come from a couple places. One is if that Ethereum that you buy at $200 goes up to $220 and then you sell it for $220, you've made $20 of gain. And, uh, depending on your income tax bracket and how long you're holding that, that Ethereum for, that $20 is taxed at different rates and you have to report it. Um, if you have a loss, if that, uh, $200 uh, Ethereum goes to 180 and you sell it for a $20 loss, uh, you can uh, offset taxes that you owe with that twenty dollars loss, um, and then mining and staking things that are, are income to you. Uh, you have to pay taxes on that as well uh, at a different tax rate. So you have to monitor the airdrops, the mining, the staking, the forks, the uh, DeFi interest, um, uh, any you know payments you receive in crypto. Like you, you have to you have to monitor all of this and uh, report it as taxes.
0: Yeah, so. That could probably be pretty confusing to most people.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it it is a burden. It, it's it's very difficult because uh, in traditional um, you know fiat economy, you most people just get a W-2 and that's all they worry about. And then if you have some investments, uh, you know, E-Trade or Schwab or something, will just send you a standard document, and uh, you can just plug it right in. You can Google um, how to look at a 1099 interest. And put it in, or you're, you know, if, if you're using tax professionals, they'll absolutely know what to do. Uh, but in crypto, uh, it's incredibly complex because the systems don't report cleanly. Uh, you're trading all around the world. You're trading crypto to crypto pairings that never get priced into U.S. dollars, um, and and so all those things. And if you have you know hundreds or thousands of trades, you really need software to understand um, what the uh, what the overall financial performance of uh, over the last year or two years or three years was. Uh, one of our seed investors uh, was the number 30 employee at Coinbase and I actually flew uh, combat missions with him in the Navy. And he, he used our software and uh, restated three or four years of taxes and found that he'd overpaid by $235,000. Um, so wow. he was really happy about that.
0: So, so so he can go back and basically redo those taxes.
1: Yeah, there's like, a I, I think it's seven years uh, to restate taxes
0: um,
1: and uh, so you can always do that if you overpaid um, and then you know if you underpaid or something we also had one client who uh, refiled his 2017 taxes for the third time in a row because he was in a lot of ICOs and once he'd refiled um, he got a letter from the IRS saying hey thanks for refiling your taxes we're closing out a criminal investigation we had open on you." so so he he was definitely trying to comply uh, he had no idea there was a criminal investigation open on him. Uh, and, uh, cause the government will tell you that, uh, <laughs> you know, um, but, but they're, they're, you know, the IRS is watching, they've sent out tens of thousands of letters, um, they very much care about compliance and, um, you know, so, so it's very good to take this stuff seriously.
0: Yeah, definitely. That, that, that is, that is serious. Um, it's crazy. Well, <laughs> uh, real quick, we're both in Seattle. Uh, we live in the Chaz. No, we don't live in the Chaz. But uh, there's you know, lots of interesting things going on with um, you know, the BLM and with um, you know, just protest and what's happening. What are your thoughts on Chaz overall? Yeah. Um, That's uh, yeah. the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Or what's what's CHAP or CHOP? What's CHOP? Capitol Hill? I don't know what Capitol CHOP Hill,
1: stands for. I don't know. I can't remember what the CHOP stands Opportunity, for.
0: Opportunity? I don't know. Yeah. Anyways. I've-
1: <laughs> um, I've I've been kind of. I, you, I have, have a you bad go, Habit of being more you, of a.
0: Sorry, I, I was gonna say, have you gone there?
1: I haven't. I've had friends go. Uh, I, yeah. I, I mean, I have. I have three kids, and uh, um, so uh, there's there's a strong uh, imperative to just stay home uh, <laughs> there rather than walk around with them on my shoulders uh, yeah. <laughs> through, <laughs> through a sketchy zone. Um, I, I think it's overblown. I've kind of been telling people. Don't live in Seattle that ask about it. That it's it's mostly a farmers market. Um, I lived in Chicago. Literally a hundred people got shot in Chicago over the three day weekend, which is uh, sad but not uncommon. And so there's just uh, there's much bigger and important things to worry about. Um, thankfully, when I when all the protests were happening, and, and um, I was very worried that it would speed uh, coronavirus uh, spread because. Um, uh, I saw people hopping into cars together, uh, you know, teenagers and 20 year olds, like people who were not socially distancing anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think coronavirus is still a, a very big deal and uh, a much bigger deal than something like the Seattle autonomous zone, which which is ending today or tomorrow, um, because there's been, uh, I think, three people shot, one person killed in the last couple of days, uh, which, which, again, is very serious but in the grand scheme of our, our well-armed uh, country is, is like not yeah then city of millions of people is, is not something I'm losing sleep over like I'm not staring out my window constantly worried that the chaz is spreading yeah. um, it's 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 um, uh, but but I, I, I think it's it's interesting that we're having all these conversations and experiments right uh, everyone knows that we do need justice reform um, because it it goes to uh, inequality inequality of wealth of income of opportunity of justice of education there's just a lot of inequality we're a very wealthy country with 330 million people um and we're very you know lucky and you know uh, but uh a lot of people are not participating uh and not benefiting from all that and mm-hmm. this this is the natural outcome of all that pressure building over decades of you know you you look at any region and uh you know um there's you know an opioid crisis there's a a a manufacturing plant crisis there's uh there's an urban crisis there there actually isn't a crime crisis there's a criminal justice crisis but there's not a crime crisis right like Mm -hmm. things were way worse in the 70s and 80s uh in terms of crime right um and so i think that all that pressure built up along with the quarantine um you know led to uh this just this massive outflow of of uh, energy, right? And you know, as a chemist or whatever, a scientist, like you know, en- energy wants to go around, wants to reorganize. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's it's uh, it's something that's needed, um, and things are always messy, right? Like I think people lack perspective, and if you just sat and thought what it would be like to be a citizen in you know some other country in the 1930s or something, in between World War One and World War Two, during the Great Depression, uh, with pandemics and still living with polio or or whatever, and having like you know. Half your kids die before age five. Like that was a that was a rougher time, right? Like we, but well, we have no perspective for these things.
0: Well, it, right. Well, it's crazy because, like, for us, you know, people of our age, this is probably I don't know for me at least, this is the craziest thing I've seen in the U.S. Like, we're like just overall, right? Pandemic plus yeah. plus um, you know the inequality plus you know protests, right? Like all that combination. Mm-hmm um but yeah it it, you know right when you put it into perspective is that you know there 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 hopefully is light at the end of the tunnel i mean there's obviously political factors um that that also keep people on edge right you know I, i i say i've been saying that um you know 2020 is like a video game and the end guy is uh is what happens when uh, after the the election in November. And there's probably like an extra level being the month of December. Like who knows what December brings. (laughs) Like we know there's an election in November and we know no matter what happens, half the population's gonna be super pissed off um, regardless of who wins. And uh, and then December, I think that's when the aliens come back and yeah. they're just like, all right, we're done. We're done yeah. with this experiment. Yeah. <laughs> so. And, you know,
1: Americans think that every problem is an American problem. Yeah. Uh, and it's not. Like, political polarization is sweeping across the world. Um, you know, dictators are taking over. Uh, uh, billions of people are ruled by dictatorships, right? And then... Mm-hmm.
0: It's, uh, it's like over... I think it's... Like nearly half the population, or maybe even over, is ruled by, by dictators.
1: Yeah, and then and, you know,
0: yeah. And um, some of those dictators were, you know, economic or sorry, um, were uh, uh, elected. You know, officially yeah. elected, but we all know about you know things like voter rigging and and uh, that sort of stuff. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, you 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 get elected president, and then you declare yourself president for life at some point, right? It's, right. It, it was a lot It was a Latin American trope, but it's it's not just for.
0: It's, <laughs> true. it's true it's um, true uh
1: but yeah like you know i i imagine so the 60s were worse uh as well right um the because we we aren't getting drafted into a senseless war yeah uh, i wouldn't have been born without the vietnam war my mom's vietnamese my mom's side of the family like fled northern vietnam in 1954 when the, when the french were kicked out of there and then they fought on the u.s side and had to flee in 1975 with the fall of saigon uh, so that was a
0: rough 20 years for, wow. for them, you know, and so you're, then like you're, you're, the family you're sorry. So your mom left in 75 from, Yeah. so she flee like the boats and so forth. And like, so, like that. Uh,
1: so my, most of my mom's family got to get on planes, I think, and fly to Guam. Uh, but some of our family were on boats. Uh, yeah, some of our crazy. family were killed during the Vietnamese civil war. It was a civil war where vi- millions of Vietnamese people died. Yeah. And it just so happened that America was, you know, bombing a lot of Southeast Asia at the same time.
0: Uh, right. And the
1: Chinese were supplying arms and the Russians. So it, it was a mess. Right. Totally. <laughs> uh, and then, um, you know, and I'm sure my 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 dad's side, uh, they had to deal with all sorts of civil wars and world wars uh, living in you know, Western Europe. Like if you look at any history of any country, it's just yeah. a massive series <laughs> of destructive civil wars.
0: Where was right? your dad? Like, Where did you say your dad is from? Uh, Irish,
1: German and Norwegian. Got it. Uh, and I think, I think his side of the family came over in like the eighteen fifties, uh, and he was born in Toledo, Ohio. Um, but but if you just look at history just briefly, like my wife's Japanese, and uh, you know the Japanese invented the samurai sword so they could kill other Japanese people better, more efficiently. You know, like that's that's why it was built. You know, uh, you know there was a, a warring period in Japan. Um, so so it's it's just like we're in this human condition. We want to think that we're post. Uh, history right but we're not we're still humans that and we're still like living the same kind of chaotic lives uh that and we there's have.
0: totally and and the warfare has shifted right like you know before it was just you know straight um you know combat and you know war is cyber war is economic war <laughs> is social uh yeah. it's it's crazy
1: i, I think uh, one of the biggest stories is that india and china or nuclear armed, there's three billion people between them, and they're fighting over water rights in the Himalayan you know, watershed. That's that's going to be very important. Like you know, if we can't hook up a bunch of nuclear reactors to the ocean and you know desalinate it, like we're we're going to fight over water rights um, around the world, and and that's going to be a big well,
0: thing. Right? Yeah, and be prepared. I mean. I I could talk about, I've studied that quite a bit, like just how, you know, water rights are even privatized, like Nestle owns a ton of water. I mean, like this isn't, you know, this isn't conspiracy stuff, like this is like legit real stuff that, you know, lots of very wealthy families own um, big water rights in foreign countries. So yeah, combating over water when, um, you know, potable water is um, becoming more and more scarce yeah. Uh, even though the, you know, the ocean, or sorry, the planet is 70% water yeah. is uh, pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, there's, there's two things, right? There's, there's the things in the universe that would be true, whether or not people existed, like math, physics, chemistry, um, those, it doesn't matter if we're here or not, those things are, are happening, and they're true. And then there's all the things that are only happening because of humans. That's, uh, history, sociology, politics, uh, military economics, like all those things are how people compete for resources. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so it's, we, we, nothing's really changed. There Our tools have changed. Um, but the base motivation for why we compete our resources and how we do that, uh, really haven't, I don't think.
0: Yeah. 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 It is, it is gnarly what's happening in China and, um, India right now. And it's just a footnote in, in what we get for information. You know like th- there's very little info on it uh, happening right now uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is scary as well <laughs> so everybody do your research find out what's happening in the world uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if the US has to take a side on that um, I think it's probably pretty clear that the US would take India's side there uh, most likely but maybe not I mean maybe they just play Switzerland there as long as they can um, doubtful though um, yeah you gonna gonna fly helicopters again
1: uh I don't so i I was a professional Russian roulette player and I got to retire and so I have no desire to sit back down at the table right i i'm a I'm a huge adrenaline junkie uh I love to drive fast i love to ride motorcycles i love to fly and uh, do adrenaline sports but uh, I don't own a motorcycle i don't fly recreationally I drive a minivan um and uh, that's that's my life now
0: Cool, mate. It's because the kids, right? The kids yeah. in the phase. Yeah. No, it's yeah. funny. Like I used to, I used to do super crazy things like, um, you know, when I would snowboard, I'd snowboard in the trees and I, you know, do jumps and crazy stuff. And, you know, when I, we went to Mexico um, one time and I went boogie boarding. Then um, this is after I, we had our, our son and it was with my father-in-law and, and uh, my brother-in-law. And um, the wave crashed like just right, and I got knocked out. And I'm in the waves, and like I'm like kind of like walking around, and I can't figure it out. And they had to like come in and like rescue me out of there. And they're like, you know, hey, who are you? Whatever. And I couldn't answer those questions. So anyways, I had a concussion, and you know, if they weren't there, I would have drowned. Um, anyways, like from that moment, I'm like, I'm not doing anything stupid anymore. <laughs> like there's, I have a whole family that I have to take care of. I can't do anything super crazy. And like there's some people who's like, oh well you know, life's about risk, it's not worth, you know, it's like, I don't know, maybe it's because I just, you know, put put the odds in there. Life's actually about (laughs) reproduction. Right.
1: That's the only reason you're alive is that every ancestor of yours survived long enough to reproduce. Yeah, from like single-celled organisms. Like life is n- about nothing else besides reproduction. What I,
0: um, what, I, what I do like to say is like, I don't know, when I'm in my 90s, uh, you know, God willing, I, I, I get to that. I want to just, that's when I want to do all the crazy stuff. Yeah, right? it's like, yeah. I, I've lived the full life. I'm going to start jumping out of airplanes. and
1: Yeah, heroin's obviously awesome. You know, I haven't tried it. I, You'll I, wait, we'll... wait,
0: wait till you're not. <laughs>
1: but, but it's clearly amazing. It's clearly we'll... better than anything else you can be doing with your time.
0: <laughs> we'll be in our late nineties, jumping out of airplanes and doing drugs. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, like
1: hopefully, if we make it that far, it'll be a Matrix thing where you know you can you can have all those experiences without risk and addiction um, and not I... know the difference, I guess.
0: Yeah. I remember seeing this video of this woman uh, who's, I don't know, she's like in her late 90s or maybe turning 100. And, you know, for her birthday, she wanted to be arrested by the police. <laughs> and so the police show up at her house and they like, and she's like pretending to fight them and hit them and stuff. And then they, they uh, handcuff her and put her in the back of the car. And, you know, of course, they're taking her like super gently and and take the pictures. That thought, thought it was pretty funny that like at 100 years old, <laughs> You're like, well, oh, I've never been arrested. I want, I to be arrested now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all, it's all house money at that point.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, Pat, what is uh, uh as you know, the question I like to ask to end my show is, uh, what's the question that you have uh, for other people that they can think about and answer as they go about their day?
1: Yeah, um, I would, I would ask, how can you be kinder to yourself and others right now? I think um, they'll they'll have a lot of benefits regardless. So, that's what I'd go with.
0: I like it. Be kind. Do unto others. My my mom would just say it like you know because that golden rule right. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. But then she would throw in the and um, never. But sorry, we're yeah. Do unto others and, and um, the do unto others thing. But then um, but never accept something that's done to you that you would never do to someone else like yeah, never. like I, don't allow someone to like do something to you that you would just never do so
1: yeah yeah i, I think uh the silver rule i think Nassim seem tweeted about that too so um that would be like don't don't harm others and don't allow others to harm you
0: yeah yeah totally nice man well pat what's what are some good ways that people can follow you or, or stay in touch with you
1: Yeah, on on Twitter, it's just at Patrick Larson, uh, P-A-T-R-I-C-K-L-A-R-S-E-N. You can go to zenledger.io and check us out there as well.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Thanks, man. Well, thanks so much. It was fun to chat. Awesome. Me too. Uh, Everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of the TF Podcast. Please make sure that you're liked and subscribed wherever it is that you listen to podcasts um, and YouTube. Uh, also, please uh, do us a favor and rank this uh, with the stars. Feel free to fill those all up. It goes a long way and, and helps us get our podcast in front of more people. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at @jgproduct JG product or at TF labs underscore, uh, as well as learn more about what we're doing uh, with the studio and with uh, other events uh, at tflabs.io. Thanks so much and we'll see y'all soon.